we go. I'm cutting off the top of my head. Am I? Oh, it's a TV. It's like totally weirded out. It's like I have no head. Anyway, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, greetings also to our campus over in Appleton and Stevens Point. We are studying our way through the uh, book of Daniel. Daniel is the account of after uh, Israel had so disobeyed God, and after warning, after warning, after warning, after warning, after warning of all these prophets, they kept going, and they wouldn't stop. And finally, he brought the hammer down. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, just totally obliviates everything, and takes uh, whatever's left off into uh, captivity. Daniel, as a young man, is part of this group that gets taken off into captivity in the uh, empire of the Babylonians, and him and his uh, three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, are serving the king. They are put in a good place. And the account of Daniel tells us the story of how God protected them in the midst of very difficult circumstances and how he gave them favor and some dramatic miracles uh, that we've read already. There's several things in the book of Daniel actually that are very, very well known uh, to almost anybody, even people who don't really know the Bible know a lot about these accounts of uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the fiery furnace. Uh, We read about the handwriting on the wall as God appeared uh, to prophesy doom to the next king, uh, and the other really famous account we're going to read tonight, chapter 6 of Daniel, which is, of course, Daniel in the lion's den. So we're, uh, what happens now is uh, uh, Belshazzar, the next king after Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, um, is being very disrespectful to God, and he's taking all the holy things of the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had taken, and he's mocking, and he's got a big party, and all getting drunk. And the Bible says a hand appeared and started writing on the wall, which just freaked the wheelie. Can you imagine? Yikes. So they're freaking out. They know what to do. Daniel's the only one who can interpret what it means. And it basically, in a nutshell, means you're going to die. And, uh, and it said that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede is the next king, and he takes over the kingdom and he starts ruling at the age of 62. All right, I got a couple of years to go before I take over everything. <laughs> so now Darius is the uh, king of the world. And we now read about how Darius is ruling. Chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. That's the whole thing st- structured. There's 120 guys that are taking care of all these areas over this gigantic kingdom, and then three guys rule over those 120. Those three obviously answered directly to Darius the king. Now the satraps were made accountable to them, these three guys, so that the king might not suffer loss. In other words, it was a way for them to keep tabs on these guys, make sure everything is done right. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators that the satraps by and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So it's uh, a situation, again, where Daniel just keeps rising to the top. No matter what happens, no matter how hard he's pushed down, uh, he just keeps (laughs) rising to the top. And 
So he's done so extraordinarily well, this is now his third king, that he's going to make him, okay, this guy's so good, we're putting, over, putting him over everything. He's going to take a new position, uh, much like Joseph did uh, in uh, Egypt when he first went there, and Pharaoh was so impressed with him that he made him the, over, over all the land. The only one more powerful than him was Pharaoh, and, uh, and that's what's happening here. The plan is now to take this incredible man, da uh, Daniel, and make him the big Hoshimama over everybody. So, uh, at this, what? Hearing that he's going to become the Yo Mama guy over everybody, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds of charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. Why? They were jealous. They were jealous. How come this cat gets everything? How come we got to answer to him now? We don't want to answer to him. So, it's just human nature. People are crazy. Why God loves us all, I do not know. But he does. We're all crazy. I'm at the top of that list. And, uh, you know, human nature, and they're mad. I don't want that guy over me, and who put him in charge? And I'll start picking at him. <clears throat> and all the backbiters come out. <laughs> I used to have wings till the backbiters got me. But anyway, they were unable to do it. They could find no corruption in him, which is really frustrating. When you're trying to knock somebody down, and you look at them as hard as you can, and they're not doing anything wrong. That's not working according to the plan. So there's no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. He wouldn't take any bribes. No matter what, the dude was clean as a whistle. Finally, these men said, man, this is, we're never going to get this guy. We'll never find any basis for the charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they know he's very devout. Well, it doesn't take long for them to understand the law of his God. And law number one, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall I, there's no other gods before me. So, aha, we'll get him on this one. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, oh, King Darius, live forever. They're always kissing up to these guys. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, all of us agree that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or to man, I don't know how often they pray to men, but pray to any god, any prayers at all, during the next 30 days, so it's just a limited time offer. Act now. Anybody who prays to any god or person other than you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. This is what they're setting you up for. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed, which was a big deal with these guys. Remember, these kings are, they're all narcissists at the highest possible level. I mean, no matter how much you love yourself, do you really want to be a ruler of the entire world? Most of us would not fall in this category. Very few people want to be the ruler of everything. Well, these guys, that's what they wanted. So they're extremely egotistical, narcissistic cycles, as we saw in Nebuchadnezzar and the arrogance of Darius. And now here come, I'm not Darius, but uh, Belshazzar. Yeah, that was his name. Okay, <clears throat> these names. 
All right, so then, now we got Darius. So he comes to Darius and says, listen, king, we got, a, this is a, we got this great gig. For 30 days, we're going to celebrate. Only people can pray to you. If anybody prays to anybody else other than you, we throw them into the lion's den. Well, of course, King Darius thinks, well, this is fabulous. What a fabulous idea. Why didn't I think of this myself? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So he puts this in writing. Now, here's the rule with the Medes and the Persians. They have a rule that whatever rule is written is impossible to withdraw. <laughs> That's a serious rule. So whatever rule is written, it cannot be repealed. Now, you would think at some point you'd issue some rules and go, oops, that's not working out. <laughs> and want to pull them back, you know what I'm saying? We all, right, everybody does something. Ever, ever have a plan you think, man, this would be great if this happens? Wouldn't it be great if this happens? Anybody own a business? <laughs> and you think, well, it'll be great if we just do this. And then you do, they go, oh, no, this is a disaster. This isn't working. Now, if we were the ruler of the world, in the means of you couldn't roll it back. You're stuck with that policy. Unless you, I guess they could write another law casting out the previous. I don't know how they did it anyway. But even that had limitations. So anyway, so he puts this thing in writing. Now, when Daniel learned of the decree, uh, that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is number one. Number one rule. Then these men, as a group, uh, went and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. No surprise there, because they all knew he did this three times a day. They were setting him up. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, well, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Of course I made that law. <laughs> then they said to the king, well, Daniel. Now remember, the king is ready to make Daniel number one. El numero uno. He's going to be el guapo over everything. All right? So um, he's going to make this. So he said, well, now Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Why? Because he was wanting to make Daniel number one. He liked Daniel. And he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He was trying to think of every way he could do it. So apparently you couldn't make a rule just bypass the other one. I don't know how these people function with such crazy systems, we could never erase a rule. Anyway, this is the way it was. And uh, so the king is desperately trying to figure out how to do this, and he can't find an answer. Then the men went as a group to the king. A bunch of weenies, these guys. Kept coming back. You gotta do something. You gotta do something. <laughs> then the king went as a group to the king and said, remember, remember king, that, the, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. 
A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Nobody could roll back the stone. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment. So DirecTV was cut off for the whole entire night. He could have no entertainment, no food, because he was so depressed. He was bummed. He didn't want to do this. These guys rigged him into this deal. He's all upset. And he couldn't sleep, so he was very distraught. Uh, well, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And he's waiting for a response. And Daniel king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. Well, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. Well, you think, well... They're just big kitties. Maybe they weren't hungry for a snack. No, these were wild animals that they put in a, such a state that they would go after anything, that they had a chance of making a meal, which we'll find out in a second here. Now, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel and rigged this whole thing were brought in, and they were thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Whoa! <laughs> it's a little severe. I can say the wives going, I don't know him, I don't know who he is, I don't know. <laughs> they throw them all in, and the Bible says, and before they reach the floor of the den, <laughs> so these lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. So it was pretty much an automatic death sentence being thrown into this thing. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations of every, and men of every language throughout the land. This is interesting how often they sent out these edicts praising the God of Israel. I don't know what people thought about these things. But again, again, they had many, many, many gods. So to them, okay, there's this really cool God. You know what I'm saying? They didn't even debate if there were other gods. For example, they go to battle and they would hope that our God would be stronger than your God. You know, so they were, they were very willing to believe in all kinds of gods. Uh, and there are cultures like that in the world even today, you know, where you can go share the gospel with them. There's not too many, but there's a place where they just have... How many gods do they have over in India? 300 million gods. What's well, another god? All right? Now, who keeps track of all these? Seriously, that high? Who writes all that down? Good grief. So that's the challenge when you talk about, you, you know, you need to believe in Jesus. Okay. 300 million in one. So the, the catch with Christianity is that there is no other God except him, see. 
so anyway, that's why they would they make these proclamations that didn't really change anybody. And as I said, these kings were often like a lot of people today who say the right things, but they don't really get it. So the king writes to everybody throughout his land, says, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Which again, didn't really mean anything other than add another God on the fire. All right? So that's all they thought about. Uh, you just couldn't be disrespectful to that God. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian, which is the next guy that comes along. And uh, it is Cyrus who eventually sends back, sends the Jews back to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and everything, all in perfect timing with the prophecy that Jeremiah had laid out that they would go into captivity for 70 years. All right, so it's really not that long of a period, but it's, it's and we're going to get into this as we get into the next uh, phase of uh, the Bible here, you know, you got the first part up to Moses, you know, of, of the law and stuff. Then you got the children of Israel and the kings and everything, and they're just, they're a mess until finally God throws them into captivity. And then you have after the captivity up until the birth of the Christ. So that's what we're about to get into next. Uh, Cyrus uh, is really an interesting, interesting guy. He was actually prophesied by name, was it 500 years earlier? By Isaiah. It's one of the most dramatic prophecies in the Bible. It's one thing to say someday something will happen and a king will rise, okay? Even of the Messiah, you know, it was kind of... When it came to the prophecy of this guy who would send the Jews back to build Israel, Isaiah said specifically he would send them back and his name would be Cyrus. 500 years before the guy was even born. It's really dramatic. In fact, it's so dramatic, most skeptics of the Bible don't believe that he really did that, that that was added later. Of course, they don't believe anything, so... All right, so now we shift dramatic gears uh, to uh, chapter 7. And uh, let, me, let me read just a little bit of it. Now, what he does is he rewinds now. So he basically tells of these dramatic stories of God protecting him. And why wouldn't you want to tell these? These are dramatic stories, stories that millions of people know. Even millions of people who never read the Bible know these stories, reference to them in one way or the other. These are very dramatic Okay, so he writes of these incredible events. Then he backtracks. You can see in uh, chapter 7, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, which is now the king after Nebuchadnezzar. So he backs up now, and he starts to tell about these dreams. He says, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was laying on his bed, and he wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there were before me four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up from the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched it until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked 
like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads. And it was, <laughs> it's like a bad acid trip, man. And, on, and it was given authority to rule. After that, my, my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts. It had ten horns. And while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one that came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Okay, so he starts having some pretty dramatic dreams. Uh, in verse 15, uh, he starts to interpret the dreams. And then we just keep reading in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 8. He keeps having these wild, dramatic dreams. And what ha we happen now from this point forward, for the rest of Daniel, Daniel starts giving some of these dramatic prophecies. Daniel is the equivalent of, of the book of Revelation in the, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. In fact, they go together like this. It's really rather dramatic. Uh, and he was very specific on the kingdoms that would rise up, the kind of kingdoms. It is so, and, and we could go into this. I don't want to because it gives me a headache, okay? You can do it on your own. All right, all the really, as we've been going through the Old Testament, I've skipped over parts of stuff that are just like lamentations. Who wants to read that? Okay, so you can certainly read this stuff on your own, and I encourage you to do it. And there's fabulous books of end time prophecy that talk about it, and it's, it's really rather brilliant. But Daniel goes in, and he goes into all this dramatic prophecies and visions and stuff, and the kingdoms that would come and fall, and, and it's, it's so dramatic, and he's so accurate that to this day, it is in great debate among uh, archaeologists and, and that that uh, look at these scrolls and stuff like that. Because you have to remember, these people don't believe in God, right? Now, if you look at a document, just like we mentioned in Isaiah, Isaiah naming the king that would send the Jews back to Jerusalem 500 years before he was born, come on. See, a lot of people say that about the Gospels. The Gospels fulfill all these prophecies of the Old Testament. It's, it's virtually impossible to have happened so that many so-called intellectuals think that the, the Gospels were written afterwards to in, intentionally incorporate those elements into the stories of the Gospels to show that Jesus had fulfilled, but there's no way anybody could have possibly fulfilled all that because they don't believe, all right? Now, when you get to Daniel, if you Google it and search it, you'll see these people, well, actually, Daniel we just, was discovered, you know, about 150 years or so before uh, Christ, which is hundreds of years later, because the only way they can begin to comprehend how could he know all this stuff, it had to be written after it happened, which makes no sense because the Bible has no problem talking about historical things, ever. It often, a lot of it is historical. This happened and that happened and this happened and that. There would have been no reason for Daniel to come along and pretend after he'd seen it all that he'd seen it before it happened, Okay. But again, it's so dramatic. How can they possibly know these things? And probably one of the most dramatic things that really affect even the Jewish nation. And, and again, I would encourage you to study it on your own if you're really into all that end time prophecy and stuff. It's really rather fascinating. But uh, Daniel is the one who predicts when Jesus would be born. Okay? Now, they didn't call him Jesus, but the, the Messiah that was to come, this, this anointed one was going to come. And uh, he broke it down in... 
terms of weeks of years and all this kind of so many weeks of years, which would be seven years and chunks of seven years. If you add them up and look at it from the time that they were sent back, according to Jeremiah, as it did happen, Cyrus comes along and boom, and as Isaiah prophesied, sends them back. From that point on, if you add up that length of years, it comes to the time of Christ when he was born. Now, that's a problem if you're Jewish and you don't believe in Jesus, all right? So from a Jewish perspective, they don't even consider Daniel to be a prophet. It's quite fascinating. How this guy is not a prophet is beyond understanding. Uh, but of course they can't take him as a prophet because they got a big problem. Even if you say, we don't think Jesus was the Messiah, the next obvious question will be then, who was it? You see what I'm saying? Because Daniel said by the end of these, this period of time, the Messiah would come. So they have, if you look at the Old Testament from a Jewish standpoint, they break it up into three different categories. And the least of these categories are these, they call them writings, uh, and they're inspirational writings, but they don't give them all that much significance. That's where they put the book of Daniel. Despite the incredible insights he has, they put it because they have to. And then even then, the way they get around what Daniel said in terms of weeks is, well, you know, you can't take things literally. It's just like you hear a lot of people talk about the Bible in general, right? Or you can't take it literally and this and that. They're desperate to explain it away. Because if, in fact, Daniel did write this when we all believe he did, and he saw what happened before it happened, number one, from a unbeliever's pr perspective, how in the world is that even possible? I mean, you know, people like to talk about the prophecies of Nostradamus and all, all these different, you know, those guys are nothing compared to this. This is stunning stuff that he sees, specifically what kingdoms rise and fall. And from a Jewish standpoint, they knew. By the way, there were wise men from the, where did they come from? Remember Jesus' story? From the east. That's where these guys are at, right? These, per these persons, they're from the east. That's, that's how they knew to be looking for the Christ child, and saw his star in the heavens. Why? They had undoubtedly read the writings of Balthazar, whatever his name was, Daniel. Because, wow. So according to the time, they saw the time, they were great timekeepers. They knew exactly who was what, where, and, they, and they, according to his writings, this time is coming, and they're looking, and they see the star, and they travel to... Now the Jews are... Oblivious to any of this. Even when the wise, I was going to say three wise men because that's the song. We three kings. We don't know how many wise men they were. So the wise men show up and they come to Jerusalem and said, hey, we're here to see the Messiah. We've seen his star born. Where's, where's he supposed to be born? We don't know where he's supposed to be born. We were missing that detail. And the leaders of the nation, the religious men said, well, it says here he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So they go look to Bethlehem. Did any of these religious leaders go? No. They knew the time. They knew the city. They knew the whole thing. Zing! Missed the entire thing. Because they were so caught up in whatever world they were. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to even comprehend how they missed this. But they missed it at a huge... And again, if you're from a Jewish perspective, well, that wasn't Jesus. Well, then again, who was it? Because according to Daniel, he should have showed up right about then. Okay? Almost to the day, if you count it all. It's, it's rather stunning. 
So they discount it, uh, not entirely. I mean, archaeologists will say, well, it's, that's impossible. It was really written much later because they, they, you know, nobody could have known all this. He's doing it historically. Uh, and then from a Jewish standpoint, you know, well, they put it in the lesser writing, so we don't put that much weight on it. You can't take things too terribly literally. Well, of course, they have to say that, or they're in big trouble. Well, they're in big trouble as it is because they missed the whole thing. They eventually, the Bible says, will come around. Um, so anyway, so that's the whole thing of Daniel. Now, the other very interesting thing of, of, uh, of Daniel, uh, Daniel starts speaking not only of these events, but he starts speaking of the events that will happen at the very end. Because here's what's fascinating. We had all these weeks of time, and then it got to like that, but there's 70 weeks, is that what it was? And the 69th one is when the Messiah comes, and then the last week is like off in the distance. Now, if you read the book of Revelations, he writes about the final seven years, which is a direct tie into what Daniel saw. These seven years are called the seven years of tribulation. This is when the Antichrist comes and stuff like that. And even Daniel says, for the first half, he's a nice guy. Second half, it really hits the fan. That's exactly what you read in the book of Revelation. They tie together like this. It's really rather stunning. Because what we're waiting for now is after Jesus came and died on the cross, it's, you know, then the age of the church came in and everything's been suspended until finally when he starts to wrap this all up and then that final week's going to kick in. It's really stunning to read. I would encourage you to read it. It's, it's uh, fun to read or read books that can help explain it because it gets really complicated with the wings and the <laughs> teeth and the talking horns and stuff with the, with the eyes and stuff. It's yikes. Uh, but anyway, so I would encourage you. The only thing I would say is when you do study it, you know, don't get crazy and don't be dogmatic because here's the thing. The reason I don't want to get into it is because who exactly knows exactly everything that he's saying? You read 10 different books, you're going to get 10 different versions of what all this means. All right? Uh, most of it agrees in the general context that I just said to you, but then they get real specific about this, that, and the other. No, nobody really knows. Every time you read, all right, listen to Pastor so-and-so from Cleveland, Tennessee, and he says, president's like, well, that's what he thinks. Okay, he doesn't know. I don't know. You don't know. What we do know is it's great when it happens, then we can look back and it all makes plenty of sense. <laughs> because the first part of Daniel is really easy to be clear. Because all you got to do is look at history. And you saw the uh, Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians and the, was it the Greeks he talked about next? Or was it Alexander the Great? I don't know. What it, uh, and, then, uh, and then the Roman Empire. Also, yeah, well, that, that's what it all meant. Well, yeah, sure. From here, it makes plenty of sense. From his standpoint, I'm like, how many eyes are on that horn? What does that mean? I, I wouldn't know what in the world he's talking about. Okay, so this uh, final seven years is why I tend to keep away from these things because I don't, I don't know what they're talking about. I mean, it's enough to freak the willies out of you. That you can read. And the point is, you just need to be ready, right? Every time in the Bible where it talks about the end times. And I encourage you to read it. It's not that I don't read it. I read it myself. It's just I don't want to teach it because it gives me a headache. Because <laughs> I'd have to understand every word. I can't. There's too many eyes on the horn. But, uh, you know, the point of it all is be ready. Be ready. The, the real point is that God has a plan. He laid out this plan to Daniel in incredible detail. This is what's going to happen. And this is how it's all going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. Wow. So we know God is at work. He's not done yet. 
The only big question right now is how long before that seventh week kicks in. And we don't know. Nobody knows. Even Jesus said, well, I went to the doctor today. It's pretty funny. And uh, my wife's having some pain in her back. And I said, uh, I have a possible theory being, I know you went to medical school, but I spent five minutes on the internet, so kind of even, you know. <laughs> she laughed. I said, so what about this? No, nah, not very likely. Da, da, da. So then finally I said, well, what do you think? And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. At least she was honest. I don't know. Um, you know, so what was they saying? Something about I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't even know what I was saying about I don't know. What? Oh, Jesus didn't even know. That's what it was. Jesus said, they asked him, when is all this going to happen? He goes, I don't know. Only my father in heaven knows. How's that even possible? I don't know. Who knows? Nobody knows anything about this stuff except that it's going to happen. And apparently, in some pretty graphic detail, it's, you know, you can try and understand the horns and the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and all this stuff. All I got to read is, ooh, this is going to be bad. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, I don't know what it all means. It means be ready. That's what it means. Be ready. Every time you see in the Old Testament, or New Testament, whenever you talk about prophecy, he says, be ready. Seeing how these things are going to happen, be ready. Seeing how things, these things are going to take place, Jesus said, be watchful, pay attention, right? That's what he talked about. Knowing that these things are going to happen, what kind of lives, Paul said, should we live? Seeing what's going to become. I mean, so it's enough. It's a good, you know, heebie-jeebie kind of, kind of experience. And, uh, you know, so anyway, I encourage you to check it out and whatnot. But uh, so anyway... That's the rest of Daniel. <laughs> I'm just not going to go there, man. So anyway, he gets done. And uh, the next king to come along is Cyrus, this guy who was prophesied. And then they go back. So that's where we're going to pick it up. All right, we're going to come back and we're going to start with the book of Ezra, which is way back here. The thing with the Bible, it's not in chronological order for the most part. Why not? I don't know. It would make it a lot easier to find some of these things. But they're not. It's just they're kind of stuck in all over the place. If you put them in chronological order, it'd be really nice, but it's not. So it is what it is. Uh, but Ezra, which is right after Second Chronicles, all of a sudden starts talking about this Cyrus, king of Persia, and how he decides to send them back and how Nehemiah is involved in it, and how they build, how they uh, go back and start building. And we read about Esther, how she used her womanly charms, hallelujah, to, uh, to save the country. We'll read all this. So this, this is very interesting stuff. So that's where we're headed. And we're pretty much done with it. Once we get through this, that is the rebuilding of the temple. That's what gets everything ready so when Jesus is born, the Jews are there. They're still under the oppression of Rome and, and all this other stuff. They never really become independent again until, anybody know? 1948. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, which is just recent history. All these last 2,000 years, they, and before that, once Nebuchadnezzar came in and kicked their butts, they were not under their own control until 1948. 
That's why a lot of people think that this, the last seven is going to be kicking in fairly soon. Stands to reason? I don't know. Neither do you. So, and that's, that's where we'll pick up this and we'll look how they come back and uh, start to rebuild a nation that had been really devastated. There's some interesting numbers. I was talking with Joe, Pastor Joe, ahead of time about what we'll, we'll go over this so we know what we're talking about. But uh, it's really stunning how much of uh, the nation of Israel had been absolutely devastated and how few were left by the time they go back to start building again. And then for, I don't know how many hundreds more years, 500 years yet after this, somewhere in there, uh, is when these, this young lady is visited by an angel. Her name's Mary. It says, you're going to bear the Christ child. And whew, off we go into the New Testament. So pretty interesting stuff. All right, that's where we'll pick it up again next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. I love you f for your faithfulness to us. God, we know that uh, we might have a lot of questions about things and we don't really understand everything there is about the future, but we know you do. And we know who holds the future and our hope and our trust is in you. Help us to live the kind of lives that we're just always ready and prepared for whatever comes. We know that someday all this is going to end and the kingdom of God will be ushered in that final kingdom that Daniel saw that replaces all other kingdoms. It will be the kingdom of God. Uh, in the meanwhile, we wait as the apostles waited 2,000 years ago and everybody since then has been waiting and we continue to wait. We serve you with a joyful heart, sharing uh, your gospel with people, proclaiming the good news of Jesus throughout the world and living lives of faith and reverence towards you. And we'll continue to do that until our personal time is up or when all of this comes to an end. We thank you, Lord, that someday we shall rule and reign with you in the kingdom that will never end. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you.